You are listening to the Bristow Advent Christian Church Podcast. Visit us on the web at bristowacc.net. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be here with you this morning in the house of the Lord. What a beautiful morning it was. Boy, it is so nice. Oh, Children's Church. Children may be released for Children's Church. Either that or Cindy is battling a bee back there, one or the other. Children may be released for Children's Church at this time. All right, where was I, Shannon? Oh, beautiful morning. What a beautiful morning it was. It is so nice to walk outside and not have to walk like this the whole way as you're heading in one direction because the wind is only supposed to be about five miles an hour today, and I am thankful for that. But it is a beautiful day that God has blessed us with today and a beautiful day to be here with you this morning in the house of the Lord. Uh, today, we're going to conclude our two-part series today on Amazing Jesus Part 2. And if the text will be from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles or look it up on your phone, or Stacy will have it up here for us in just a little bit when that time comes. So if you're going to look it up in your Bibles, look it up in your Bibles and stick your finger and we'll get to read right there and we'll get to reading that in just a little bit. But when you get there, somebody tell me amen. And are you really there, Logan? That's what I'm talking about. All right. Remember last week we talked about amazing Jesus and what amazes Jesus. We're all amazed by Jesus, but, but what amazes Jesus? Today we're going to finish this, just a quick little mini-series on it, but uh, as always I'm thankful and blessed for the opportunity that God has given to me to stand before you and share His Word with you just a little bit. We were reminded again this week as a church family and as a family how quick life is and the brevity of it. We walked out of here last Sunday, Clayton walked out of here with us. Just a couple days later, Clayton went home. Life is short, folks, and it is precious. Take advantage of the days that God has given to you. The Bible tells us to be wise with our days. Be wise with our days. But we're reminded again this week just how quickly life can be sometimes. 88 years seems like a long time. You know, if you was to ask one of them little ones who went out this door what it means to be 88, it's a lot, but... Now that I'm 40, I can't ever, can't ever do nothing with Joe here. He knows how old I am. But it gets by like that. It, the Bible calls it a vapor, and it's true. But I am thankful for God and his wisdom and God and his work in our lives and in Clayton's life. Uh, what, what a precious man he was. And thankful for his wisdom and his pouring into my life and a lot of other lives as well. I'm thankful and blessed for him. Thankful and blessed for you, and thankful and blessed for this opportunity that God has given to me today. Rick, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? Amen. Joe, who's got any better than we do? Nobody. Nobody. Amazing Jesus. We're going to conclude this today, and as we talked about last week, the, the scribes and the skeptics were amazed at his teaching. The hungry and the hurting were amazed by his miracles. An adulterer and her accusers were amazed by his love, but two millennia later... Jesus is no less amazing. But what amazes Jesus? Last week we looked at one thing that amazes Jesus, and that is lack of faith. This week we're going to flip that coin. We're going to look at faith and how it amazes Jesus. There's three things that I want, we want to point out to you today within our message. And number one, we want to look at this. that The things that Je about Jesus that amaze the Roman centurion that we're going to read about here in just a little bit. Point number one, this centurion was amazed at Jesus' strength. Point number two, 
Stacy is quick with the draw back there. Good job. Point number two, he was amazed at Jesus' splendor. And point number three that we're going to look at today, he was amazed at Jesus' sovereignty. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians 1.10 that on the day when the Lord Jesus comes, oh, praise God, on the day that the Lord Jesus comes, all people who have believed will be amazed at Jesus. Amazed at Jesus. Not amazed at the angels. Not amazed at the mansions. Not amazed at these new bodies that aren't breaking down and all those hurts and pains are gone out of them. Paul doesn't measure the joy of encountering the apostles. He doesn't say anything about embracing loved ones, which I look very forward to. He doesn't say anything about that. If we will be amazed at those things, which certainly we will, he does not say. What Paul does say is that we will be amazed at Jesus, the most amazing person in the kingdom of God. He was equally amazing here on earth. The scribes again and the skeptics were amazed at his teaching. The hungry and the hurting were amazed by his miracles. An adulterer and her accusers were amazed by his love. And again, two millennia later, Jesus is no less amazing. Last week, when I asked the question, what amazes Jesus? What might amaze the most amazing person who ever lived? The Greek word translated amazed in all of these instances literally means this, to stand outside oneself. It's very similar to the phrase that we use now when we say, he was beside himself. And it has the idea that we're so surprised that we jump out of our skin. What would cause the Son of God to jump out of his skin? Like I said last week, the Gospels record two instances, two moments in the life of Jesus when he was amazed. The first is found in Mark chapter 6, as we looked at last week, when Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth and was amazed at the unbelief there. He was amazed by the people in his hometown and their lack of faith. But I said there were two. The second of these amazing occasions, Jesus is amazed for precisely the opposite reason. He had been traveling the, the Palestinian countryside and he had just wrapped up his famous Sermon on the Mount when our story begins in Luke chapter 6, verses 1, chapter 7. I almost threw you off there. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. So go ahead and we'll stand and we'll read the Word of God today. my glasses on. Pitiful getting old. Pitiful. Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10 says this. Now when he had concluded all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the, of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this for, was deserving. He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, 
I do not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority. I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them. He was amazed at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, and thank you for the, the precious promises and Lord, the words of life that lie where they're within. Thank you for this story of Jesus today, Lord, and the faith found in a Roman centurion. Father, I pray that, Lord, that faith that he had, Lord, would be instilled in our lives and in our hearts. Those times when we have doubts, Lord, build up that faith. Those times when we, we wonder, Father, build up that faith in our lives. Lord, we pray your blessing upon your word today and our understanding of it. Pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to have its way within this service today, Lord. I pray, Father, you would take that which your servant has and, Lord, bless it and multiply it and, and feed the ears and hearts of your people today. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we worship you. This day and every day, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 again. And it says this, When Jesus had finished saying all of this, all of this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At the time, a highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent someone respected, some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and to heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves us, he loves the Jewish people, and even built a synagogue for us in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Let's pause there. Let's dig a little bit deeper there. Let's look a little further there and take a moment to get to know this Roman officer a little bit better. What makes this story unique? What makes this unique isn't that someone came to Jesus for help, because they came to Jesus for help a lot. I do that every day. What's unique about this story isn't that someone came to Jesus for help, but that the person seeking after help was a Roman soldier. He wasn't Jewish. He didn't grow up hearing the stories of Noah and Abraham and Joseph in Sunday school like you and I did. He didn't spend a week every summer at camp. He probably never even attended vacation Bible school. This centurion came out of a pagan society, a culture steeped in worship of countless gods and countless goddesses. Yet, he was assigned to Capernaum. And after being assigned to Capernaum, he must have heard the stories of the Old Testament from the local rabbis. He probably overheard the, the beautiful singing of faithful Hebrews as it lofted through the streets at night during the family devotions. These stories... These songs, these words must have worked their way into his heart. They must have found a way into his soul. Not only did he embrace this Jewish community that he was assigned to oversee, but he even built a house of worship for them. Archaeologists have uncovered the remains of the synagogue that this Roman centurion built in Capernaum. At the highest elevation there in town, 
stood a beautiful structure that testifies to us even today of this man's generosity, of this man's kindness. What's even more amazing is this. Gentiles, like this Roman soldier, were not even allowed to enter the Jewish synagogue. So he couldn't go into the building. He made this building for them. He couldn't even go into the building he built. Luke 4 tells us, in the Bible tells us, that Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum and taught there in this synagogue on, on multiple Sabbaths. I don't know about you, but when I picture Jesus teaching at this synagogue, I see this one figure at the back door back there. I see this lone figure standing back there at the entryway listening to Jesus. It's no wonder then that he knew what Jesus was capable of and that he sought Jesus out in his time of need. But get this, even his request is not a selfish one. He's asking Jesus to heal his highly valued slave at a time when slaves simply weren't very highly valued. I'm blown away by this man already. We haven't even got to the good part yet. Let's keep reading. In verses 6-8 through eight, it says, So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming. Don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy enough to come and meet you. Just say the word from wherever you are, and my servant will be healed. He said, I know this, because I am a man under the authority of my superior officers. I also have authority over my officers, my soldiers. I only need to say go, and they go. I only have to say come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do that. Verses 6 and 8. You know, the Bible <clears throat> doesn't use these words, but you can tell by this man's heart. You can tell by his words. You can tell by his action and his humbleness that this Roman centurion is amazed by Jesus. Number one, he is amazed first and foremost by Jesus' strength. First, he is amazed by Jesus' strength. He asked Jesus to do something that he couldn't do. He asked Jesus to do something he could not do. Kids do this all the time. Kids do this all the time. They'll be playing together in the house. They'll be doing all their stuff there in the living room. And, and every once in a while, someone will lose something under the couch. It may be a, one of them little matchbox cars or Hot Wheels or something another or a ball or a Nerf dart that they've shot under there. They get down on the ground. They reach back there just as far as they can get. They can't get very far because they ain't got very long arms. All they put out is a bunch of dust bunnies. They can't get to it. They're groping around aimlessly, and finally they realize. They realize there's no hope. I'm not going to get this. I can't reach it. I can't do this. You hear little footprints thundering down the hall, and you hear that shout, Dad! And they asked you to do what they can't do for themselves. So you grab a hold of the end of the couch, and you lift it up. If you're a father, you've done this. You lift that thing up and you check out the biceps while you got it up there. You lift that thing up. 
You do for them what they can't do for themselves. They're all amazed by it. Their eyes get wide. They think you're so strong with that couch off the ground. And they can clearly see, and they can clearly see, and one of them will call out, I got it. I got it. I got it out of there. And the toy is saved because your kids sought out your strength in their time of need. I love how my granddaughters do that. I, I never, never, never uh, pass up a time to show them how strong I am or, or I've even taught Zoe to kiss her biceps from time to time. I love when they seek me out when there's things in their life that you just can't do. I love that they see me as a source of strength. And I think Jesus loves it when we see him as our source of strength. With all of the faith of a child rely upon their father, relying upon their father's strength, this man of power, this man who has authority, Ask Jesus to do what he can't do. His strength is still amazing. Paul once wrote this in Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He didn't say, I can do some things. He did not say, I can do a few things. He did not say, I can do easy things or simple things. He said, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When we rely upon the strength of Jesus Christ, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. The centurion recognized Jesus' strength. Point number two, he was amazed by Jesus' splendor. Furthermore, he was amazed by Jesus' splendor, by his majesty, by his magnificence. He saw Jesus as something so glorious that he wasn't even worthy to meet him face to face. I think this is part, uh, a part of Jesus that sometimes we fail to see. John the Apostle saw it. John the Apostle saw it. Of course, you know John the Apostle. He, he walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He went down the, the roads with Jesus. He, he ministered with Jesus for three years. He'd followed Christ. But this encounter is very different from any in Galilee. And the image that John writes down is so vivid. The impression so powerful that John's knees buckled. He describes the event like this. He says, I turned to see who was talking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampposts and someone among the lampposts who was like the Son of Man. He was dressed in a long robe and had a gold band around his chest. His head and his hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like bronze that glows hot in a furnace, and his voice like the noise of flooding water. He held, a seven, he held seven stars in his right hands, and a sharp double-edged sword came out of his mouth. He looked like the sun shining at its brightest time. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet like a dead man. He put his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. Revelations 1, 12-17. Now, if you're puzzled by this passage, you're not alone. You're not alone. Swords and bronze feet and white hair and sunlight. What are we to make of, of such an image that John is trying to describe here of us? What are we to make of such an image? Keep in mind this. Keep in mind this. John wrote, what John wrote is not what John saw. What he wrote is like what he saw. Did you notice how often John used the word like? He describes hair like wool, 
eyes like fire, feet like bronze, a voice like the noise of flooding water, and a face like the sun in all of its brilliance. What John saw was so grand. What he saw was so grand. What John saw was so glorious that he had no words to describe it. So he stumbles into a storage closet full of similes and returns with an armload of word pictures. The implication of John's description here is crystal clear. The human tongue is inadequate to describe the Christ. There is only so far that the human mind can go when it comes to, 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 the, to, the, to, the, to the Jesus that the Bible describes to us. There is only so far that our finite hearts can go when it comes to witnessing and trying to describe that which is infinite. If you come across somebody who's teaching or preaching and tells you, I got this all figured out, run, do not walk, run to the nearest exit. There are things we are only going to know this side of glory. There are things we cannot imagine, things our hearts cannot contain. Praise God they couldn't because we'd be mad or crazy and our hearts would burst and all that stuff. There's only so far that our minds and our hearts can go. And that's not God's fault. We live in a fallen world. We're a fallen people. But as John goes on to tell us in there, one day we will see. One day these eyes will see that which is so holy that a man who walked with Jesus, who lived with Jesus for three years, couldn't even begin to describe it. There's only so far that our minds can go. The centurion didn't see what John saw. He didn't have to see what John saw to recognize that Jesus was glorious. He didn't have to see what John saw to realize that, that the, the greatness of Jesus. He humbled himself at the very thought of standing in the presence of Jesus and each one of us ought to do the same. Point number three for today. He was amazed by Jesus' sovereignty. Finally, he was amazed by Jesus' sovereignty. This Roman officer was familiar with authority. You don't get to be in this position in the Roman army without knowing it and without dispensing it. He knew all, all he had to do was issue an order and it would be done. The same was true with Jesus. He knew that, that Jesus was the supreme authority on this earth. The wind and the waves obey him. Demons and disease and even death obey him. In fact, just about the only things on this earth that do not obey Jesus are people. We don't respond well to authority, do we? We don't play well with others sometimes. We don't like to be told what to do. Here's a story. There was a, a, a Massachusetts governor back in the 1950s. His name was Christian Herder. He was uh, running for a second term as often uh, in office as politicians do. And one day, after a busy day of campaigning and a busy morning of, of chasing after votes and skipping lunch, he happened upon a church. 
And back then, they, when they had a potluck or a barbecue, they had it outside because it was hot. They didn't have air conditioning back then. Praise God for air conditioning. He was driving down the road, spotted one out there, and decided I'll stop in there. It was late in the afternoon. He was hungry, so he stopped in, grabbed a plate, and started moving down the serving line. He held out his plate when he got to the woman who was serving chicken. And she put a piece of chicken on his plate, and then she turned to the next person in line. Governor Hurtner said, excuse me, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? He's like me and you, Joe. We want seconds if we can get it. This woman kindly responded. She said, sorry, but I'm only supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. The governor said, but I am famished. And the lady looked at him, and again she said pleasantly, I'm sorry, only one per person. Now, Governor Hertner was generally a modest man and an unassuming man and a quiet man, but he decided that this time he would throw his weight around a little bit. He said, do you know who I am? He said, I am the governor of this state. Without batting an eye, the woman replied, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, governor. The Roman centurion realized, despite all of his authority, despite all of his power, despite all of his prestige and his position, that Jesus was really the one in charge. It is in the light of Jesus' unlimited strength, his unparalleled splendor, his ultimate sovereignty, that the centurion makes his humble request. And now we come to the climax of the story. The Bible says this, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found that the slave was completely healed. In verses 9 through 10. Praise God. A Roman officer, a Roman officer who had not been brought up to know a loving God, amazes the Son of God by his faith. And unlike the father that we talked about last Sunday, he didn't pray, I believe, help my unbelief. He simply believed. There's no if you can in his request. Throughout this entire encounter, there isn't even a hint of doubt in this centurion. There is only faith, and it is faith properly placed, and that is faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus' power to do that which is impossible. Faith in Jesus' place of highest honor and faith in Jesus' authority over every situation. What amazes Jesus? Faith. Faith. Faith not only moves mountains, faith also moves God. John Bisango knows about that. He's a Houston, he was a Houston pastor who was reading in his study when his five-year-old daughter, Melody, came to him asking for a dollhouse. As most fathers do when they're busy with something, they nod and say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He promised to build her one and then promptly returned to his book. A little bit later, as he's continuing his book, he sees his daughter going by out the window out there and saw that her arms were full with dishes, with toys, and dolls. And after making trip after trip, until she had a huge pile of her playthings right there in the backyard. So he gets up, goes into the kitchen, asks his wife, he says, what is Melody doing out there? 
And his wife said, well, you said you were going to build her a dollhouse. And she believes you. She's just getting ready for it. Immediately, John tossed aside his book. He raced to the lumberyard for supplies and quickly built that little girl a dollhouse. Later, he said this. He said, when I saw her faith, when I saw her faith, nothing could keep me from carrying out my word. I think Jesus responds in the same way. When he sees faith like that. Let me wrap this up. It is faith that amazes Jesus. It is faith that amazes Jesus. Either its presence or its absence. In one instance, Jesus found faith where it shouldn't have been. In the other, he discovered faith in an unexpected place. And both of them amazed him. Jesus is not impressed by our status. He didn't care about our wealth. He doesn't, isn't impressed by our powers or our abilities. What he's amazed about is this. He's amazed when we trust him as we should. But just as equally amazed when we don't. The Bible says this. In Hebrews eleven six. 6, says, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Apparently... We can amaze Jesus with or without it. Which one would we rather do? Is Jesus amazed by our faith today? In spite of the difficulties that we're facing? Or is He amazed at our lack of faith today? In spite of the promises He's given. No matter what's going on in our lives, and there's lots going on in our lives. I thought when I retired from Pepsi that I'd have a whole lot more time. I found out real quick that's not the case. We've got a lot going on in our lives and we are all super busy. Despite what's going on in our lives or what led up to this moment in time, I want to encourage us. I, I want to challenge us to fully trust in Jesus today. When we fully put our faith in Jesus, He will be amazed and quite frankly, so will we. As we close out this time in song, I want to share with you a little personal moment here. Friday, getting ready for the Clayton service. And it is, there is no more difficult task that God calls a minister to than a funeral. And there is no more difficult task that a God calls a minister to for a funeral for family. You're there to supply what God says through you and give them the sense of hope and courage that they need all the while while you're broken just as hard inside. And uh, as I was getting around, I was listening to some music and trying to get some mud off my shoes from a funeral I did a couple days before that. And... Just broke down and cried, but just the weight of it all sometimes. But I broke down and cried at the first line of the song that I was listening to, and it was, it's a song we sung. We only sung one time, I think, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Hymn of Heaven. The first line of that song is, "Lord, I long to breathe the air of heaven." And I was. So taken back by that, because I long to breathe that air. 
I long for that time. When I was younger, I always thought, you know, Lord, give me a little time here. There's a lot of stuff I want to do. But if God is true and God is true, and if his word is true and his word is true, then there ain't nothing down here going to be any better than what he has in store for us. And the Bible tells us this, we will be amazed by Jesus. And as I said in that first line, there's so much more that we're going to see, but what's really going to blow our minds and what's really going to blow our hearts is we are going to see him face to face. The one who bled for me. The, the one who died for us. We will behold him in all of his glory. And there will be nothing to be held back because we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will see Him in all of His majesty. We will see Him on all of His strength. And we will fall at His feet. And there will be a time when I say, Jesus, you did it. You did it. You've got this knot-headed, hard-hearted thing here to your kingdom. And I long to breathe the air of heaven. And I long to fall at His feet. And I long to worship Him as He deserves to be worshipped. And that is what we need to really be thinking in our hearts and changing in our lives is we need to be a more worshipful people. And it's moments like that when your heart is breaking and the word of God is, is so evident and clear in your life and the spirit is just upon you and you hear maybe one line of a song and all you can do is cry and realize even so, Lord Jesus, come today. How's your faith today? These last two weeks we've talked about a faith that, that, that was absent where it should have been and a faith that is present where it had no business being. How's, how's our faith today? And if our faith is struggling, if, if your faith is struggling, and sometimes my faith is struggling, we're coming up on May the 9th, and it's going to be a hard eight days from here on out. And my faith struggles during that time. I've got to be honest with you. But my God will make it all right. How's your faith today? As we close out this time in song, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're going through something that you can't do alone, you're in the right place. As we learned here from this centurion, he did... He, he figured out there's a lot of stuff in this life I can't do. If I can't do it, I'm going to get it to somebody who can. And I promise you, Jesus is the one who can. This altar is open. Where you're standing, if you're afraid to get out and come to the altar, right there where you're standing, say, God, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. I believe we're called to a great purpose here in these, these days that we live in. I believe... I, I, I'm, I'm really not 40 yet. I, Joe knows that. I'm 58. and It may not be my generation, but how much more important are Queen's words when you realize if it ain't my generation, then it's the one we're raising. We're still responsible. Those are our kids, Joe. I believe we're called for a great calling. I believe we're called for a great purpose. That may be the end time purpose that God is preparing us for. I hope it is.
Because if he could come to Jesus, come today, and it would, I would jump up and click my heels. Not very far, but I would. How's your faith today? If you're struggling, you're in the right place. If there's something you can't do, you know where to go. Bring it to him. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't God good? I thank you. Thank you so much for the hospitality that you've shown to us. Thank you so much for the opportunity that God has placed before us here today. I'm like Joyce. I didn't sleep a whole lot last night. Got up awful. I get up early anyway, but got up awful early today. Not because I was nervous or anything. God's will will be done. God's will will be done. But thank you for the opportunity and the hospitality that you've shown us. I hope that we have shown that same hospitality to you as you visited the Grace Refuge over there. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you, for the lives that you represent, for the potential that you have to spread that news for our rescuer, Claire. Our rescuer. Thank you for the work that you do in your homes with your families, and your children and your grandchildren. That's, that's, how, that's how you build godly heritage. That's how you build godly generations is that. And there's testimony of that all around you. Thank you so much for listening today, putting up with me and my silliness sometimes. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. We'll, I will close in prayer at this time and we'll shake each other's hands and hug each other's neck and then we'll... Go vote and see, see where God takes us. Lord, thank you. Lord, for your grace. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you for the seeds of faith that were sown into our lives so many years ago. Thank you, Father, for, for praying parents and praying grandparents that, Lord, will not let us go even when we go our own separate ways. Lord, thank you for these hearts and lives that are represented here today. Lord, that seek after you, Lord, and seek after your will. Thank you, Father, for this time where we've looked at faith, Father, in these past two weeks. But faith where it should be, but it's not. And faith where it shouldn't be, but, but there it is. And Lord, thank you for the faith that you have sown into our lives and grown, Father, by your faithfulness. Lord, as we depart from this place, I pray, Father, for your wisdom as we make decisions today. I pray, Father, for, Lord, foresight, Lord, and, and vision. Lord, that you have placed in our hearts and in our minds. I pray, Father, for courage, Lord, because, Lord, you've called us to step out of the ordinary and step into your extraordinary. Lord, your blessing upon both meetings that take place today, Father. May we bring you honor. May we bring you glory. Lord, may we lift up the name of Jesus. In his name we pray.